It's time to get up, get motivated, and start making moves for yourself instead of working to make someone else rich. These are genuine experiences and the stories of real entrepreneurs that made the ultimate decision to live for themselves in order to achieve unbelievable results. You're listening to The Time Is Now, making your business personal. Now here's your host, Kent Clothier. Hey everybody, Kent Clothier here. Welcome to the Time Is Now podcast. I am your faithful host, uh, Mr. Kent Clothier. Hope everybody's having a great day. I am really excited about my guest today. Great friend, mentor, peer, colleague, somebody I have a ton of admiration for, a guy that just plays full out all the time. So I'm really happy to have him on here because I think everybody's going to pick up a lot on what it really takes to achieve amazing results. So Pat Precourt in the house, brother. How are you? I am doing fantastic, Ken. Thank you for that uh, generous introduction. Looking forward to doing this, man. Appreciate being here, and I'll ask for a little grace from everybody. If I go into a bit of a coughing fit, I am managing a, a cold, getting through it, but it has kicked my butt for a few days now. So, yeah, just be patient for that. Part yeah, it's of it. kind of it's right. kind of interesting to see you a little a little bit up against the ropes, man. I'm not used to that. I mean, you're usually the oh, you're usually the guy that the bull in the china shop. It's been years since this boy's been sick, you know, and. and <laughs> I've been sick now, I think seven days, something like that. So I was like, oh, Pat, you're going to go to the doctor? I'm like, no, because, you know, and this is just my own belief, right? All the doctor can do is prescribe more antibiotics. And in my own opinion, right, getting sick every maybe six years or so is just your body's way of re-energizing its own immune system. So if you got to put up with it for a week or so, right, and you get another six years of being perfectly healthy, I'm cool with that, right? That's probably a really, really cool way to look at that if you think about it. I mean, your body's not designed to be pumped full of antibiotics. I mean, at the end of the day, to where you just don't ever get, that's the that's the entire idea, right? It's to build up your immune system, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, let's talk a little bit about you and, and what's going on in your life. And, and basically, what I hope that people gather from this is that, you know, you've, you've played a huge role in my life over the last few years. You and I met probably, oh, I guess probably seven or eight years ago at, an, at a Fortune Builders event and uh, became fast friends and turned around and have constantly leaned on each other over the years. And through personal stuff, through professional stuff, you know, you name it, the ups, the downs, we've seen the, the good times and the bad together as it relates to business and personal. And I think that, that you have an amazing ability to kind of cut through all the bullshit with people, which, you know, kind of creates common ground between us and just kind of get to the heart of stuff and help people achieve amazing things, right? Regardless of what it is, whether it's in business, whether it's doing MMA, whether it's per, you know, flipping real estate, whether it's just getting the hell out of their own way and, you know, getting their life on track, whatever. So tell them everybody a little bit about, you know, kind of your history and where you come from. Yeah, so I don't know how far back you want to go. Let, let's start with this. You know, I am a father and a husband. We've been it'll be 23 years. We'll be married this summer, which is pretty cool. My kids range from 12 years old to 19 years old, and, and I'm well immersed in trying to to raise kids in a day now, which, as you know, Kent, is getting more and more difficult. When we grew up, is different than when our kids are growing up now, right? So I keep that out in front of all that I do in in a kind of a professional space. I, I do kind of what exactly what you, you just mentioned, man. I try to allow people to break out of their own shell and become what they're truly capable of becoming. I, you know, I see it as, uh, in a way of unleashing or unlocking people. The latest project that I'm working on has to do with taking business owners, entrepreneurs, people who are really outstanding at their skill, their trade. Many in, you know, in our space of real estate investment get awesome what they're doing. They create a many of 
people listening will get this. They create a, a trap from themselves. They create a self-employed job. And this project I'm working on is allowing people to move from that transition from that um, managerial result-driven position, which ties them ruthlessly to their job and a job that relies ruthlessly on them to survive, right? Taking from that and transitioning them into a space of leadership where they're focused on growing people instead of growing results and allowing them to separate themselves very much like you've done, Kent. So the business can not only survive, but thrive on its own without constant input and reliance on the main person, right? So it's a, it's a pretty interesting project because all of it begins many steps before that in, in this space where we call, you know, self-mastery. Very, very difficult to successfully lead others without first successfully leading, leading this guy, right? Yeah, I really, I mean, I totally agree. Let's, let's, let's kind of talk about it for a second. So talk about leadership. I mean, as you're working on this project, what are the things that you're discovering and, and trying to share with people, the difference between leadership and management and kind of getting out front as you're talking about? Sure. So if you take it in its most basic terms so that we can kind of draw a line between the hats that we wear every day, make no mistake, neither one of them is more or less valuable or important in, in a company or day-to-day operations, but they're both required. Look at management as an exclusive intention on growing your results. That That's what managers do. They want known, predictable, duplicable results and outcomes. They want processes and systems. They create a predictable result on the other end. Leaders are completely different. Where managers focus on growing results, leaders focus on growing people. And the difference is that managers thrive in consistency. Leaders thrive in chaos and the unknown and the unpredictable. They're the ones who constantly instigate and implement change so that the company, the individuals can grow. A leader, a great leader who provides leadership, doesn't isn't motivating you as an individual. They're inspiring you to be more. They're the ones who allow you to look in the mirror each day and they help you raise the bar for the individual you see looking back at you. Meaning they give you intrinsic tools, not just external motivational tools, but intrinsic tools so that you can now thrive on your own. Contrary to what people think leadership is, people think oftentimes think leadership is a, is a this codependency on the followers and the leaderboard. And in fact, a true leader providing leadership is creating an independence from the leadership so that they can thrive on their own. That's true leadership. And that's why you see a you know, large companies where it starts with a, a founder that grows ultimately through the business into the CEO role. Well, they start sitting in the shadows of the business as the business grows out in front of them. They've done their job. They've planted the seeds. They've created an independence of any one individual or thing. That's true leadership. So a lot of people listening out here are in that area that you and I spend a lot of time talking about, which is there's a tremendous amount of attention paid. And let's just talk about real estate investing here for a second, because I know there's a lot of people listening here that, that are in the real estate investing space, but the same is going to be true regardless of industry. There is a lot of attention spent in the entrepreneur space on recruiting the new entrepreneur, educating the new entrepreneur, getting them in the game. And I use that term entrepreneur very, very loosely. I mean, it's basically, let me get you started with your at-home business, right? Your home-based business where you can make a few bucks, right? And there's a shit ton of attention spent on that, just get them in, get them in, get them in, get them in. And then I believe 
what I've seen, and I know you you believe the same thing, recognize that there's a massive void in what to do next, right? Okay, good. You're in. You've made a little bit of money. You you figured out how to effectively walk away from, you know, one job and trade one job in for another job. And quite frankly, the other job you've tra- that that you now have is a hell of a lot more risky than the one you had before. You know, the one you had before probably had a little bit of benefits and you had health insurance and you had this right. being paid for and a little bit of security. And if you took a couple of days off, it was okay. And now everything's different. Now you're basically got something where it's all on you. And so that person needs a ton of attention, right? I think it's a massive gap and it's what we what we focus on on trying to, you know, escalate them through and I know it's what you are talking about as well here. But what's the benefit to that person in focusing on leadership versus focusing on growth in your mind? Good great question because I'll share with you the idea that there's limitations in your growth without leadership. You can only go so far. You can only scale so far without leadership. Growth requires people. People require leadership. And if you're unwilling or incapable of leading others, um, your ability to scale will only go as far as how many hours you can give of you every single day. It's just another trap, right? It's absolutely a trap. Let's just say, Kent, that you're capable of managing on a daily active basis, like say five people, just for sake of numbers, Right. And every day you can, and when I say manage, let's be honest, it's micromanagement. You're telling people what to do, how to do, when to do it, when to get it done. You're telling them everything. They're the executors of it, right? And you're, you're, they're coming to you for, to solve all their problems. You're their manager and you're just counting your results each day and making sure you're keeping up with the numbers, right? Let's say you can do five people. What if now we step back and we assume the role of a leader? And now instead of just five people, what if we led five managers, right? individuals taught them how to manage. Now we're leading five people who are each leading five people. Our same amount of effort now has a spread of 25 people wide. Now we're starting down the path of actually growing and scaling. And if we're doing it in in, in a way that if we're truly leading and not managing, where managing is involved with the production of the product leadership is simply involved with the growth of the people and letting the people worry about or concern themselves with the results that you're trying to produce. It takes a lot less of us than it would ever from the management side. So now we're starting to reclaim our space back. And at the end of the day, you speak to the brand new person coming in. Here's one of the major flaws I see, Ken, and, and I know you know this, it's worth calling out like when somebody gets new into, say, our real estate business, we get so focused on the means and not the ends. The means being doing deals and doing transactions. And our goals never go past those points of measurement, how many deals I'm going to do or how much money I'm going to make from when, in fact, those are all of that is just a means to a much bigger end. After all, I don't if I, if you ask somebody coming in, if you said, listen, Ken Clothier, you're going to come into real estate investment and are you willing to commit to the next 25 years, 20 years to work 60, 70 hours a week in right. order to get results that you think you want? Is that what you're signing up for? They'd be like, hell no. The challenge is the plan. That's all it accounts for, right? There's no bigger plan than that. The focus is all about the means, look, seeing it as an end game when in fact it's not, right? So that, that would be one thing that as people start into this, I say, listen, there's got to be a bigger vision here. And that's what the, the leadership cap has got to step up in, in place. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Totally. Hey, this is Kent. And thanks for listening to the show. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up. If you're interested in real estate investing and looking for a way to 
get started. Go to thetimeisnow.com. Right there on the page, you'll see an opportunity to just log in and get a free copy of my best-selling book. It's a great way to get started, learn a lot about one of our most basic strategies in real estate called wholesaling, reverse wholesaling to be specific, exactly how you can get started right now. Got a whole list of resources in there, step-by-step instructions, everything you need. Again, go check it out at thetimeisnow.com. The end of the day, here's what I know to be true, is that people want to belong and that really good people are out there searching for their community, searching for their purpose, searching for something that they can belong to. And they're so desperate for it that they'll, that they'll hold on to the mediocrity just because it's being presented as something that kind of looks and feels like leadership. When the reality of it is, is, you know, in the absence of true leadership, that's what happens. But when true leadership is there, people want to be a part of it. They want to be inspired. They want to belong. They want to be a part of that culture. They want to be a part of that organization. And that is true in your associates. It's true in your employees. It's true in your partners. It's true in your customers. They all want to be inspired. They all want to feel like there's some intrinsic value that's being brought to the equation that much bigger than the transaction they're doing with you. People that don't, you know, they don't want to walk in the door or should say the right people don't want to walk in the door and just trade hours for dollars. They want to be led. They want to feel like, oh my God, there's a purpose. There's a vision. There's something going on here. This is because when you get that part of it dialed in, the reality of it is, is that it allows you to attract the most talented people because the best of the best of the best want that. And the mediocrity could give a shit, right? Couldn't agree with you more. So I'll take that. I'll, I'll give you our listeners here three for, for, for anyone who has individuals that are responsible for whether you call them subordinates, whether you call them teammates, whether you call them employees, right? They could even be family members. There's, I'll give you three little tips to getting peak performance from individuals where you're not the motivating factor. You're not the one transferring all of your energy ruthlessly to drive people to do more, right? And it's very simple. It gets away from this whole carrot and stick approach, the old reward and punishment system, which is a time and a place that that works, right? And typically, you know, very piecemeal, numbers-driven environment, something like maybe a sales floor, there's the carrot and stick has a place still. But when you're talking about people who are delivering people-type skills, where they're interacting with uh, other human beings, right? That carrot and stick stuff just doesn't cut it anymore. Three things, that, and we'll, we'll, I'll just mention them in, in a little detail here. Number one, giving somebody the autonomy to get to the end result their own way, meaning that when you give somebody the exact how to do, what to do, when to do, and where to do it, it takes away any opportunity for an individual to create and therefore find value in their own worth, right? When you give somebody the autonomy, you say, hey, listen, you're starting here. This is your end point. You, do, you choose how to get there. That's an internal driver that inspires people to do more and be more because they own that. It's not yours anymore. That's theirs. Second one is what we call mastery, the constant ability to improve. I see this with employers all the time, Ken, when they put someone in a job role and the job role lacks two key things. Number one, an opportunity to move up the ladder. And number two, a consistent measuring process where they're getting feedback to know if they're doing good or bad. Both types of feedback, whether they're showing us that we're doing things right or wrong, has a positive input on our desire to improve, right? And I see employers all the time, they get pissed off on about employees not producing. I'm like, you've created an environment to crush their freaking soul. 
and you're blaming them because if you're in their seat, you'd, you'd be as worthless as they are right now, right? So number one is autonomy. Number two is the constant state of mastery, knowing that they always have an opportunity to improve and being able to see that seeing that's measured along the way. And then the third one, you kind of just mentioned this, is belonging, being part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to know that we're part of something that that is outside of who just we are and that we have an influence on it, that our our thoughts, our words, our, our opinions matter in it. And this could be as simple as each week getting feedback from your supporters, from your teammates, from your employees, asking them what they think and then showing that you take their, their thoughts and, and opinions in consideration. Those three things create an internal drive where we can step aside. We set up that environment. We can step aside as leaders. We don't have to motivate anymore because we started that internal flame of inspiration. I love it. Let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's kind of have a little bit of fun so people can get to know you a little bit. So the whole point of, of what we t- talk about here is really you know how now is the time and not to screw around. Don't, you know, don't waste the opportunities. Don't waste the moments. Face your fears. Do what you got to do. Let's talk a little bit about facing your fears. Give me one example where taking action in the moment or kind of leaning into fear, if you will, paid off big for you. Something you were terrified of. It could be anything, right? It could be rugby. It could be your kids. It could be whatever, uh, MMA, but where, you know, something worked out where you were a little hesitant, but, you know, you just did what you had to do. All right. Well, I, I'll give you a rugby one and you may not think it really worked out, but it did when I still tell you about it. Right. So this is a traveling team where uh, a select side team, the current captain, uh, the mark in my position got injured and three days before the tour up in Canada, we're playing the uh, Canadian national side. I get the call asked if I was, if I was interested in stepping up, being on the tour and being captain of the team. Right. And to put this in context, the team itself was made up of mostly players that are out of the Met New York area and upstate New York. And the third piece of the leg would be our New England side. And quite honestly, they didn't like New England players to begin with. So the idea that I was going to become captain of a team that pretty much would be a hostile team towards me scared the crap out of me. Right. And um, I accepted the role. And sure enough, I'll, I'll cut kind of right to the middle of this. At the end of the first half, now mind you, we have a team that's never played together and we're playing against a national level team. In NFL football, it would be playing against a professional football team, right? right? National level. Halftime. And our scoring in rugby is very similar to the scoring in football. At halftime, we're down 72 nothing. So picture. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Picture a football game at 72 nothing at halftime. <laughs> we were incapable, absolutely incapable of stopping this team from scoring. And then on top of that, you have a very, very aggressive and excited and half drunk Canadian fan base, right? We're on the island of Newfoundland down in St. John's, the southern tip which is a, they have a big rugby stadium there. I have no idea why they have a rugby stadium on the island of Newfoundland, which is a big rock out in the East Ocean here. And uh, halftime, we get our ass kicked, 72-0. We walk into the locker room. We have 10 minutes, 10 minutes for me as captain of the team to a hostile team to say something, right? The coach, this Australian guy, Patrick Van Royen, had disappeared. He <laughs> He went from being in front of everything to at halftime, wasn't even in the locker room with oh us. So I said to the boys, I said, listen, man, and I just talked just like you and I were talking right here. Ken. I said, listen, boys, here's the thing. We're down 72 nothing. We can't win this game. We're out on a freaking rock. 
in the Atlantic Ocean playing a team that we can't beat amongst fans that can't stand us. And quite honestly, we pretty much can't stand each other. We still got a decision to make right now. Decisions like this. At the end of the day, come Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we're all going to be back home. We're going to wake up in the morning. It's going to hit us all at once. We're going to be looking at the mirror. And that's exactly what we're going to see looking back. There's not going to be anybody else to talk to, anybody to lean, lean to or blame. But we're going to have to ask ourselves that big question, right? Because you can't lie to yourself. So you and I know that, can't, right? You can ask yourself the big question. Did you do your part? Or did you go up there and blame everybody else for what happened? I'm going to tell you boys right now that I'm going to go out and do my part. We're going to change the game, though. We're not going to play rugby anymore. We're going to do the one thing that New England does the best, probably the best in the freaking world, is we know how to hit people. We can hit them hard. I said, so let's forget about rugby. Don't worry about scoring. Don't worry about penalties. Don't worry about the sin bin. Don't worry about getting kicked off pitch. Just hit somebody and hit them again and again and again. That's how I'm going to play this game, and I'm inviting you guys to come play with me. Don't worry about whether you like me or not, because now this is about each of us as individuals and how we stand together as brothers on the field. We're representing New England here, actually the entire Northeast. So we took that out on the field and didn't get much response in the locker room, right? But in our right before you kick off, we had to kick off to them again. The funny thing about rugby, every time they score in football, the ball would change hands, right? Well, we have to kick it back to them and they get the ball back again. <laughs> it's crazy, right? So here we are, second half, kicking a ball off to them. I say, here we go, man. Let's line up. Either we're in or we're out, okay? But if we're going to do this, let's do it together. And sure enough, Kent, we lined up across the pitch. Ball gets kicked up. Nobody pays a bit of attention to it. And everybody hits someone. Whistles are going off. <laughs> oh, yeah. People are starting to throw punches. The, the, the referee, now mind you, there's only one referee in a field. There's touch studs, but there's only one referee. It's not like football. There's wow. no idea what to do. And we do it again and again and again. That's like a guys bad movie. Ten lies. Their guys now are taking dives and leaving the field. Anyways, long story short, we beat them the second half by three points. It was a 3 nothing game in the second half. We stopped them from scoring, got one penalty kickoff, lost the game 72-3. to but won the second half, 3 nothing. And to answer your question right from the very beginning, it scared the shit out of me accepting that role as captain because I knew the players I was about to play with, they're, they're guys that are, we play against during the season, and there's a big – this is like a, a, a Boston versus Yankee thing. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. This is like a Dallas versus Pittsburgh thing, right? right? I put those two teams together as a select side. That's what this is about, you know? And I accepted the captainship knowing that, you know what, I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror come Monday morning if I said no to that. And, yeah, it turned things around. It was, it was probably one of the better decisions. You know how you create anchors in your life, you know, anchors. So when, when you're down and out, you need an immediate state change. When you need to empower yourself, you have anchors. That's one of my anchors I always fall back on right there. Totally, knowing dude. that if I can go through that, guess what? This shit I got. Yeah. Right. hundred yeah. percent, man. That's the, that's the value of leaning in, right? Is that mm -hmm. it's uh, almost impossible to fail if you go at every situation like that, that terrifies you. Yeah. Because let's face it, they never stop, right? We always get them. But then what, the, what happens is suddenly you come out on the other side of it. It may have worked out great and you could have won the game 73 to 72, but 
at the end of the day, what you certainly learned is that you as a human being, as a man, as a leader, have what it takes to step up and take on whatever you need to take on and not back away from it, which pays massive dividends for the rest of your life. Everything gets easier because now it's, it's, I think that's what people, I think that people have to realize that, man, when it comes to fear, it's such a dumbass thing. It's just so stupid. I mean, we just get locked in, in between our own ears on, you know, the dogma of other people instead of just embracing this and say, man, the struggle is part of it. And there's so much to be learned and so much value derived from the struggle. Get your ass in the game. What have you got to lose? The time is now, right? I've learned you don't always realize this in the moment, right? And even when you know it, it's hard to like, believe it in the moment. But on hindsight, I found this to be true every time, Kent, is that the amount of fear has a direct one-to-one -one ratio to the amount of opportunity that's on the other side of the fear, right? So the bigger the fear, the bigger the opportunity. If it ain't scaring you that much, it probably ain't that much on the other side of it, right? Amen, bro. Yeah. And then you look at that and it kind of makes sense. You know, if you're, if you're sitting in your little cute little comfort zone in that state of mediocrity and you're like, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And it's just not that big a deal to do. And guess what? You're probably not stepping that far out of your little comfort zone. That's the truth of it. Yep. Right. No fear, no opportunity. And again, Absolutely. when shit's hitting you square in the face, it's hard to appreciate that in the heat of the moment. Totally get it. But it's never proved to not be true on hindsight. Well, dude, the reality of it is that it never stops. So if you believe somehow by achieving, you know, going and making a million dollars a year or whatever, that somehow all your problems are going to be solved and you're never going to, in business or in personal, you're never going to be faced with any challenges. You're just completely full of shit. You don't understand what's going on. And so you got to get comfortable. If you want amazing things to happen, you have to get comfortable taking on tough stuff. And dealing with it and fighting through it and figuring it out and taking on that challenge and growing from it because, man, everything you want is just right there to your point if you're willing to take on the bigger challenges, the bigger obstacles. Yeah. Well, I know something else I've learned. I see people like default to, they look at people who, you know, are, are successful that have reached certain areas they'd love to be at. And they say to themselves, and this is this is like a misleading statement. Say, wow, that person's got it all figured out. If I could only do that, they got it perfect. So what they stupid. fail to recognize is all they see is the tip of the iceberg. That's right. Because this I've learned, Kemp, right? And th this is looking up to some of the most successful people that I've ever met, right? That their success is a result of them taking crazy ass leaps and bounds forward into like almost an abyss and being met with a world of hurt along the way in order for them to grow. So as 90% of their ship is perfect, 90% of their life is freaking outrageously awesome, 10% of their stuff, dude, is outrageously messed up. And they keep that 10% there. That chaos is what kind of keeps them growing. Yeah, that's exact. That's my point. That's exactly it. Because if that wasn't there, they wouldn't be where they're at. Yeah. Right? I mean, I can tell you 100%. I mean, I have the ability to take my foot off the gas. Mm -hmm. And I constantly put myself in situations 
that are very, very uncomfortable, that are pushing our company, that are pushing me, that are pushing the organization to where that chaos is kind of the fuel, I guess is the easiest way to say it, right? The scary stuff is the fuel that keeps you pushing, keeps you growing. Keep. I mean, if I don't have it, I just lose my mind, honestly. Mm-hmm. I drive my wife crazy, but I, I just, I got to have that pressure on top of me. It's just the way I am. And it just makes me who I am. A couple other questions and we'll start wrapping it up. Sure. What's, what's the best advice you've ever, you've ever received? Never regret. Well, I got this from my football coach way back in high school, and I heard it again from my son's wrestling coach, right? And it kind of reawakened him inside of it. Never regret. No matter what you do, never regret. Never turn around and, and regret something from the past. And I've taken that, and I've used that as, as, a, as a type of fuel going forward, Kent, because now I'm like, oh, how... If I got a decision at hand, how do I make sure I never regret this? And then the answer is always just go for it. You'll never regret going for it. Right. So that advice is is empowered me to well, kind of to overcome what, what you've been talking about here. A lot of fears that we're challenged with day by day. You'll never regret what you've done. And you've heard this before. It's not my quote, but never regret what you've done. You only regret the things that you've passed on that you haven't done in life. Right. And that's- 100%. That should, that, that'll stick with me to the end of life, end of my time here on earth. I think it's one of the biggest keys to success, quite frankly, in anything you do to get past your fear of failure because it's irrelevant and get more in tune with your fear of regret because that's something mm-hmm. you should be afraid of. Be afraid mm-hmm. of not taking action. Be afraid of not getting in that moment. Don't be afraid of failing. Yeah, because who cares? I mean, failure is just part of it, right? Nobody mm-hmm. really cares. Nobody's going to judge you on your failure. Nobody's going to say a word to you. So give give us a, three best books that you would um, recommend for somebody as we start wrapping it up here. I always carry one book that you recommended for me many years ago. You may, you may not even remember, but I've got Which one, one of the four agreements. I continue. Four agreements, and that's still one of them to this day. I'm going to pull out. I got an old school version here. Another one that I love. Okay. It's not one of his most popular books okay because he's written this book in different ways but this one's fundamental it's a little it's past my 100 page rule okay uh <laughs> the law of success by napoleon hill yeah yeah 16 breaks it into 16 very sound lessons that we can apply every day all right so you got the four agreements which that that should be a bible that we carry in the back of our uh, pocket you got napoleon hill so one other so let me give you one now we're on the topic of leadership right so i'll give you one for my leadership bucket it's called leadership secrets of attila the hun and i know it sounds like a crazy name and it's a little difficult to find the book right so go back to the years hundreds and hundreds of years ago of the pillagers the huns right and and you learn these lessons from attila who you know they had a complete inability to communicate relative to today's ability right they, they use like smoke signals and right. i don't know they're out of any type of verbal range yet you know he built an army to challenge rome right One of the biggest empires um, in the world. yes and although some of the things he did are you know socially unacceptable i get it <laughs> he's a pillager that whole killing thing i mean i yeah, get that whole killing. look beyond that and you'll be like wow these are sound leadership principles that stand today because they had a a brotherhood code that crossed boundaries of you know it's funny and and, you know today we have you know we have republicans we got democrats and there's there's no code that crosses over they just kind of you know they'll stab each other's in the back all day long yeah but it was different back then even even violent enemies still had a code they lived by 
And in this, you see the code come out and you see the leadership, the ability to lead from this core code. It's pretty amazing. So that would be the third one, the leadership secrets of Attila the Hun. Dude, I love it. I love it. I appreciate you sharing here, man. It's been great to have you on here and we'll have to do this again. All right. An absolute pleasure, brother. All right, man. Be cool. Hey, if if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do it? Very simple. Pat at PatrickPreCourt.com. You can find me anywhere on the uh, web. Pat at PatrickPreCourt.com. Cool. We'll put a link on the the, uh, show notes as well. Brother, I appreciate you. As always, been great stuff. Peace. You've reached the end of this episode, but there's plenty more for you over at thetimeisnow.com where you can sign up for our free mailing list to help you make the next big shift in your career. As always, we'll see you next time on the Time Is Now podcast, where your business is personal.